Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, our reading and the mandate that I carry comes from 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, the 9th verse. And it goes, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. And he says, and when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. This is Paul speaking. Today, I want to preach a sermon entitled The Essential Wisdom When Outgrowing Realms. The Essential Wisdom When Outgrowing Realms. You need wisdom, essentially, when you're outgrowing certain things and growing into other things. Because I find many a time some of us lose that wisdom and either miss out on the new levels, the new places of promotion and progress because we do not carry the wisdom of transition or some of us cannot tell the signs that spell the outgrowing of these things. And like the man of Corinthians has spoken, he gave an example, an experience of somebody which knew in part or he saw in part, he knew in part, he understood things in part. And then he prophesied in part. He spoke in part because he knew only part of that. And then one thing, one experience happens to him. And it's called the perfection of things. In that which he knew not fully or prophesied or spoke not to full maturity of either expression of understanding, now the fullness of perfection has come. And because a perfect experience has come, the Bible says that part which he was functioning previously is done away with. Then he gives an example of when he was a child, he thought as a child, he understood as a child, and he spoke as a child because he was a child. But he says, when he became full of age as a man, he threw away childish things. He evolved and became something new. In the first part, of the portion of scripture, there was a part that was done away with when the perfect one came. In the second expression, there was things that he had to do away with which were childish because the mature things came. So his actions, his understanding, his thought pattern changed because new stuff had come. Praise the Lord. Now, there are two words fundamentally that I need to help us understand. There's a word called growth 
or growing. And then there is a word called outgrowth or outgrowing. Those are two different things. What is growth? What does it mean to grow? To grow means simply to increase. It simply means to expand. You see, when something enlarges or increases or expands or multiplies, we can say that that thing has grown. You have a business and that business had a capital of 10 million. And then one day you're balancing your books and then you realize, oh, you now have 20 million. You can actually say that business has grown. You see, you have a ministry and then you were putting 10 chairs and then a few people start standing and then you buy more chairs and the 10 become 20, 20 become 30. That is what? Growth. You see what I'm saying? When your child starts to understand more complex sentences, you can say, my child is growing. That is growing. Are you following? But outgrowth means coming out of something as a result of your growing. To come out of something. Is outgrow. See, to come out of something. There's a work that takes a man out of that thing. It's a phase, it's a dimension, it's a realm, it's a circumstance, it's a season. But then the process of growth takes you out of one thing into another thing. That's what they call outgrowing. Okay? Not all growths result into outgrowing. All right? Not all growths result into outgrowing. But consequently, most of the time, if a man consistently grows, they outgrow certain spaces, certain things. Are you following me, child of God? Let me give you a simple example. From the African perspective, in our cultures or in our understanding of life, there was a statement we used to use and it was called Moana Akura. Who remembers that statement? Moana Akura. So, so those of you who are watching and you don't understand our language, it simply means the child is growing. So that was a statement we used to use or parents used to use when they were planning to buy stuff for their children. And because it was economically viable, they used to buy us things as though we were growing. Who remembers those days? Uh-huh. So when they say, buy a shoe of a child growing, of a mwana akura, if your shoe was a size three, your parents would buy size six. <laughs> Who remembers those days? Uh-huh. So you have a shoe that is almost twice the length of your foot. You see? And so, oh, it doesn't fit. They say, that's mwana akura. So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to either get a cloth or a paper and then put it inside there so that it can fill the spaces. And then as you continue growing, you reduce the papers. You know? We used to have those kids whose parents were too much. I mean, a kid's size three and then they buy size eight. So you can imagine how many papers are needed. And as they continue growing, they remove levels by levels. As the foot continues creating weight, where they remove what? Levels and levels. So you find this guy walking as if their one step is two. We used to call the, them the two-in-one steps. You understand? Papa, papa, papa. 
That's how you walk. Pa, 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 pa. Why? Because as the original leg lands, the one in front also needs its own time of landing. So it's pa, 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 pa. And also for those of you who are fighters, those were the best weapons. Nobody can mess with you when you have such a shoe. No. You just pa. And the way is done. Praise the Lord. So the teachers used to tell us by the size of our shoes. And I think you've seen those kids. The kid is walking to school, but their shoe is like for that goofy character in cartoons. The shoe is the other side. And the kid is here. They shop for you clothes, you remember? And then Christmas, they say, but if you buy for her some fitting, by Easter, it will be gone. Yet we want her to put on this one for Easter and a few years to come. So the dress goes up to down. So, you know, those of you us who they used to shop for us every Christmas, for us, the shoppings were once a year. That's when you put on your best vase. You understand what I'm saying? And it's the reason to go to church. Because everybody needs to know the goodness of the Lord. So, but the shirt is oversized, the trousers are oversized, you're tying them, but they are, eh? Says that you grow into them, isn't it? So, you could put on that trouser for years, and you're growing, yes, but you've not outgrown it yet. That's why I said not all growing means outgrowing. We had students or kids in school whom they bought those clothes, hoping that they would outgrow them, and then the jeans start what? Spelling otherwise, and the boy stops growing. <laughs> but the parents had so much faith that within two years this shirt would be fitting. But the boy stops what? Growing. And then the muscles of adulthood start coming out. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, not all growth leads to outgrowing, but some growths lead to outgrowing. On the other side of a story or spectrum, there's one who received that dress. Okay, it was a Christmas wear, and then she started to outgrow it. Breasts came, what, what, what? And then a few years later, the dress starts to look like a top. You can only tell it's a dress because you remember the belt used to be here. Now the belt is what? Up here. And because the belt is up here, it looks fundamentally out of mathematics to tie it up here, so they let the belts loose. Some of you are like that. You understand? The dress now is here. Even some, you know, those old people who can't tell fashion say, eh, neighbor Nai, Gundi's daughter dresses badly. Have you seen the short dress she's putting on? No. They're still improvising so they can suck out all the, eh, the benefits of the dress. Either by the time it's given or handed over to the younger one. Uh, yes, uh, some of you, now your siblings also inherit and then they start to grow through the process. Shoes, clothes, same thing. Now you understand. To outgrow means that you're going to throw away some things. You understand? What he's saying that when the fullness, the perfection, the perfect comes, the part is what? Delta away. with. When you were a child, you thought, understood, spoke. Now you throw away childish things. You cannot play with the toy you used to play with. You cannot play with the dolls that you never used to sleep without. Now you have outgrown. Okay? And like there are realities, 
in the human terms and examples I've used, so are realities in the spirit realm concerning our growth as believers. That this is also equally true in the spirit realm, that as we continue to grow, we start to outgrow certain things. And some of us outgrow things earlier than others. If a child is growing by three or four centimeters a year, and another one is growing by five or six centimeters a year, and another one is growing by 10 centimeters a year, all of these three children are growing, but if you give them the same cloth, the one growing 10 centimeters a year will outgrow that cloth faster than the one who is growing five centimeters a year, and the one growing five centimeters a year will outgrow that cloth faster than one which is growing three centimeters a year. They are all growing, but one person is outgrowing, has outgrown quicker than the other. If you want to understand it from the spiritual sense, it means that there are people who delay in certain realms. They delay in certain dimensions. They delay in certain places and spaces longer than others. You see, you started work with somebody at the beginning uh, of the year and you're probably hired in the same offices or probably doing the same level, clerkship or supervisory or managerial or whatever you call it. And then your friends started to grow and then you realize tomorrow they are promoted to next level. But for you, you're still in the same position. Okay? They've outgrown that position and gotten into the next position of life. And then they outgrow it again. And then you remember, probably look back seven or five years later, and you see this friend of yours, you started both at clerkship level, but they are probably at managerial or executive committee. So they're executive, but you all started the same. That means they have outgrown those levels and transitioned into the next levels. But spiritually, because you are stuck in that level, the manifestation of that again is in the physical sense why you're still a clerk over 10 or 20 years of experience. And these things are true. They happen every day before our eyes. There are people who take 20 years to do something and somebody in the same universe you're in has taken two years to do the same thing. Somebody has taken 10 years to do the same thing. Somebody has taken one month to do the same thing. Somebody just needs a day, one day, and they transition out of your realm or dimension of function and they go to the next. Either because they know or understand the wisdom of transitioning into the next realm or dimension of function, or simply, coincidentally, by grace, they're being thrust in there by God's divine purpose. But I tell people, I fear promotions that carry no pattern. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a dangerous space when you're elevated in graces of whose wisdom you carry not. Because the reconciliation of those two worlds is wisdom and power. Christ the wisdom and the power of God. That power that elevates you should come with the wisdom to sustain you or preserve you in the place God has elevated you. The danger is the coincidences of stumbling on things and sort of evolving into things or perhaps somebody, or for some, they actually did the patterns or principles, but they did not do them deliberately. It was an indirect coincidence. You understand? It was sheer luck, if I may use that word, to give more understanding. So it's like somebody who 
they were in front of a goal and they just shot. They just shot. And by luck, somehow their leg twisted the right way and the ball went curling like that. Huh? A finesse shot. And then it entered and they say, ah, this guy has scored. And then you put that ball there and tell them, do it again like you did it. And they can't do it again. But they what? They did it. I fear promotions that do not come with pattern and principle. Because one, should you fall from that realm, you will not know how to go back. Or number two, you cannot teach another man how to be elevated in the very realm. That's the danger. If you fall out of that, you're never going to find your way back because you don't know the way. Or two, you're not going to be able to teach another man how because you don't know the way. You just stumbled into things. And yes, there are things we're going to stumble in by mistake or by advantage or by grace. But God requires the wisdom to establish us. Praise the Lord. Every elevation that should come in your life, promotion spiritually, always carry the wisdom to know the pattern or the principles that take you there and keep them. Because whenever you mess up, you'll always know your way back. Are you following what I'm saying? So back to what I was explaining tonight. So we have experiences of people who for so long, you've asked yourself, why am I stuck in this place? What is happening? Why aren't I progressing? Maybe you don't know the signs. And when the signs came, you did not know what to do with them. Are you following what I'm saying? You did not know what to do with them. So today, I want to tell you or show you the signs of somebody who is outgrowing or has outgrown a certain realm. Now, realm, when I mean realm, I'm talking about spiritual places. We all function in different realms of the spirit. And so there is the power that allows us, by the realm that we're in, individually, is the power that allows us to function more efficiently and effectively in this present world. Are you following what I'm saying? If I could talk about authority, for example, to help us understand the language of the Spirit that moves things, because you have people who can say something. Somebody says, next year I'm going to build this, and they will build it. That person spoke with authority. And then you have another person who said, next year I'm going to build this house, and they're not going to build it. Because they might have that wish their minds might agree with the vision, but they don't carry the authority to command all the things of the earth to agree with their declaration. And authority is the language of the Spirit. The Bible says Jesus spoke with authority and not like the Pharisees. He spoke with authority and not as the scribes. He spoke with authority. You understand the power that is available for you to say, next year I'm getting married and nothing can stop you. Next year, I'm going here and nothing can stop you. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. But also, if I might also go deeper in that, when you meet a man who has been elevated into the next realm higher than you are, if you ever choose to fight them, you can never win. Because that's a fundamental law of the spirit. There are many laws that govern the spirit realm. In my head, I've studied about 12 of them. Fundamental laws that govern the spirit realm. When you look at the promotions of the Spirit, nobody, nobody from an inferior realm can fight a man from a higher realm. It's not possible. Doesn't matter how many guns you have. Doesn't matter how much influence you have. It doesn't matter how much strength you have more than that person. Doesn't matter whether they are weakling and small and skinny. If they are in a higher realm of the Spirit, you can never win if you fight. You can never win if you fight. You can't. 
But you see, when people are elevated and you don't know the way of elevation, like Cain killed Abel, you will seek to kill them. Because that envy and jealousy and fear that comes with the elevation of others might be cloud your mind from God's purpose concerning your life. One of the most deceiving things about it is the thing I've seen many in the hearts of men. The assumption that because somebody has been elevated, therefore you've been demoted. That's the foundation of jealousy and envy. It's the deception that because somebody has been promoted, therefore you have been demoted. Because somebody has gotten something you don't have, therefore you have been demoted. No. You should never see life that way. That's the spirit of envy and jealousy. It's a very confusing spirit because it will deceive you into thinking that one man's elevation is your demotion. You have not demoted because somebody has been elevated. No, it's just that spirit of deception tricking you to see things that way. And that's why Cain has to kill Abel so that none is promoted. Or if they look for any promotion, he's the available one. Are you following what I'm saying? And yet, as long as the earth liveth, there will always be somebody who does greater than you. Accept that. There will always be somebody who does greater than you in a certain field. Sportsmen call them boogeymen. Right? Somebody who will always come to break your record. Because the world is from glory to glory. You understand? The glory of the latter church shall be greater than the former. Come to terms with it. Your children will do better than you. Come to terms. Accept it already and understand that that's just how God has designed the earth such that he'll keep you humble. Do you understand what I'm saying? He'll keep you humble. But there'll always be somebody who'll do better. Now, if you build your life around this person, he's doing better, uh, you're going to fight every person in the world. And it's a dangerous place to be in a victim mode because when you're victimized, it means you never see the work of God in your life. You're always comparing yourself with another man. The Bible tells you when you do that, you become foolish. A foolish spirit comes over you. And the judgments of God are lost. I mean, you cannot judge things the way God judges them. You live a very dangerous place because now you're going to go downhill. You'll start falling without knowing. I know people who are not promoted or now are going backward because of how they view those which are promoted. Never fight a voice you see God is raising with his own hand. The more you celebrate a voice being elevated, the more you celebrate somebody being promoted by God, the more you position yourself and prove to heaven that you are ready as well to go into that level. Never. You might carry envy, you might carry jealousy in your heart, but how do you get rid of it? Gift those God is raising. Just gift them. Gift them. That's how you deal with envy and jealousy. Celebrate. Oh, congratulations. And if anything comes in your heart that is otherwise, go shop them something small and give it to them and tell them, you know what? I bought this for you because I heard of your promotion. No man who does that stays longer there. God will always elevate you because you are inviting greatness and promotion. But some of you, the moment that person is promoted, that's the day you start bad-mouthing them. This person is this. Oh, he's this. I know there are people who hate me, for example, and I know they don't really hate me. I look at them and I see and I say, no, this person is not hating. They're just dealing with something that deceives them that because this person has been promoted by God, therefore they have been demoted. This is the only problem. You see, I thank God in my life that I don't carry envy. I don't. 
If you ever get to a point and you feel you're envious with somebody, pray for them. It will heal. Just pray for them. Father, I thank you for sister so-and-so. I evidently see that what you're doing on their life only your hand can do. I pray that may you sustain them. May you preserve them in the grace they should go. And may they be a beacon of light for them that are coming. That many will be elevated through this individual. As you continue praying those things, you are freeing yourself for God's work in your life. Somebody shout amen. But back to what I was telling us here. When you get to a place of outgrowing, I explained the difference between growing and outgrowing. When you get to a place of outgrowing certain things, three things are going to be affected in your life. People, the people around you, places, the places where you dwell, either your workplace or your home or your geographical location, and time, the way you use your time. Three entities will gravely be affected. It might look like it's for bad, but it's actually for good. Any man outgrowing in life will find changes, nuances in their blessings, in the people that they deal with and the way they deal with time. Praise the Lord. So, I want to give you five signs. Okay? I want to give you five major signs that show or prove that you are in a process of outgrowing something or you have outgrown something. Those signs are important because they help you not to lose the purpose of God in the period that you're in. They help you transition. They help you not to stay in the realms that you should not stay into. Are you following what I'm saying? Because when you stay where you're not supposed to be, stay. Because I have seen the deception of the devil and I've seen it common among men that some people can outgrow or will outgrow a place or something but they carry no wisdom of transitioning into the next phase and by reason of how their world is designed either in the positions they carry, the age they have, some also with the indifferences of life and ignorance concerning truth, some of them in that deception build a life of tolerating what they've outgrown. They build comforts around what they've outgrown. They justify where they have outgrown because of their individual insecurities that ask them questions they're not able to answer and yet they have promised the world so much and themselves and some are perfectionists, so they cannot be seen failing, but they need to explain the reason of why they're stagnant or stuck. So they create a language, they create circumstances, they align their thought life to concede that stagnant life and then build conveniences and comforts around what they have outgrown, such that they can cover for the shame that comes without growing things. I'll give you an example. There was a time you were in your father's house, your mother's house. And then one day you wake up and you realize, I think I have outgrown living under my mother's roof. Do you agree? 
And a certain shame comes because at your age, you shouldn't be under your father's roof. Since that shame comes, are you following what I'm saying? Like the shame of putting on an oversized dress. Like the shame of putting on a dress that is of a smaller size. Okay? Or the shame of putting on a shoe that you've outgrown. It will create holes. We call them breakthrough shoes. Your feet find a way where there is no way. You see? And if any of you has ever put on a shoe that your foot had outgrown, you imagine the shame of standing at an assembly and the principal looks at your foot or anybody looks at your shoe, then you, you have to you know, cringe them because it's shameful. You see what I'm saying? So it is in life. Or maybe you were in a good business and that business collapsed and you lost everything. And then you found yourself back in your parents' house. That's shame. That's shame. Now, some people build comforts and conveniences around such shame. And the wisdom to tell the difference defines your level of maturity because some people in this room might not be mature to understand what I'm saying. Those of you who are mature understand what I'm saying. How do they see me at this age driving out of my father's house? You see that shame that comes. You can use that shame to propel yourself and work hard and position yourself and pray and come out of that shame. Or you can build comforts and conveniences around it and in different explanations to cover the shame. And there you only are going to stay longer in what you've already outgrown. And some of us are very good at explaining even where we're not supposed to be explaining, where we're supposed to be transitioning. We're seeking to give explanations and excuses of why we're somewhere where we are because we carry shame. We're not humble enough to admit that I need help. You see what I'm saying? Oh no, you've been living a life of begging. You call this person, help me man, I'm broke. Oh brother, you know, send me some 100,000 or please help me with 50K. And you're doing that all the time. One day you wake up and you're like, but I don't feel I should be begging now. You see what I'm saying? Either you seek God to come out because you've outgrown it, or you still create other reasons to beg. You're 30, you're still begging. 40, you're still begging. 50, you're still begging rent. 60, you're still begging food. 70, you're still begging. Then you live your life begging. You go to heaven a beggar. You see what I'm saying? Never settle for less. And tonight, even as I'm preaching, I feel the Spirit of God that is going to lift somebody out of the shame of the things that you have outgrown. I feel that power is here. Some of you, you're going to transition. You're going to transition. You're going to transition into the next level of glory because God promised glory and not shame. Somebody shout, hallelujah. It's important. It's important. So, five signs I want to give you today. Could be many, but these are the five major ones that I know that usually tell you that you maybe you're going through this because you're outgrowing or have outgrown this level. Number one, you will fill a void in your spirit that is not necessarily as a result of disconnecting from God. You see? Now, again, I have that other kind of person 
who is feeling empty because they're not disconnected. They don't pray. They pray once in a while. I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about the person who is consistently or constantly connecting with God. They come to church. They pray. They serve God in whatever right they do. But one day you wake up and there's something that makes you feel empty. You're not feeling empty because you don't pray. You come to church. You have your moments of prayer. You know, you try your best. You might not be 100% there. You're probably even doing better than many. But you're feeling like you're empty. You're empty. God has a way of creating that emptiness because he's telling you that you've outgrown this level. It comes with that feeling sometimes. Like I said, there are two ways, but there's a man feeling it because he's indifferent to the will and purpose of God. That's not the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about that person who really has a relationship with God, but you feel in there there's something missing. You can't put a finger to it, but there's something missing. But something is missing in my life. I don't know what, but I feel something. Every season you feel it, you've outgrown a certain level. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Don't think it's bad. Some people take it bad. No, it's not bad if you have been connected with God. It's a good thing. It's a good feeling. Praise the Lord. Number two, connected to the first one, you start getting dissatisfied in the things that used to satisfy you. You get dissatisfied in life. It's one thing to be void or empty, but it's another to find dissatisfaction. Perhaps the day you got that job in that company, oh my goodness, you were running to that company. You sat early. You used to go before your computer. You used to boast of which bank you work in or which company you work in or which NGO and you branded the t-shirts. You told everyone the best bosses I've ever seen, the best company I've ever seen. And over the years, you start feeling dissatisfied of the very thing that used to give you peace. You were running a business and used to wake up every morning and this was your baby. It was the go-to thing. It was the comfort zone of you. It was the convenience of you. You used to sit there and you feel you were alive every time you woke up. You were looking to the next day of work. And then one day you wake up and you don't even want to come out of bed. Now again, to that, there's the opposite of the indifferent one which is just lazy. To all of this, there are indifferences. Okay? I'm not talking about this person who naturally doesn't want to work. They pushed you into work. Then it became so hard. And then you say, ah, ah, I don't want to work because you want to stay home and watch Netflix and feed over somebody's food. I'm not talking about you. You, you just need deliverance. But I'm talking about that person. You really want to work. But you feel the grace for that work is run. You're dissatisfied in the things that used to satisfy you. Work has become a routine. You don't look forward to another day. You have backlog under your desk of things you're supposed to be doing. And you know you can do them. You even know how to do them. But just the energy and drive to do it. How do you know you're dissatisfied about life? You wake up tired. The moment you sit on that job, you get tired. There are pastors. The moment they start on the altar, they get tired. What is supposed to restore, revive, resuscitate, energize you, weakens you? You're tired, Ali. That could be a sign that you what? Have outgrown that job or are outgrowing. So the grace that used to come with it is decimating. It's dying out every day. It's possible. Number three. Do you remember the people Israel met? Now here in this sign, certain relationships with certain people start to die. Because every time God is elevating you from one realm to another, 
there are people that God might disconnect you from. Now, there's also the indifferent side. You have a nasty attitude, you're a gossiper, you're bad-mannered, you're a slanderer, poorly brought up, you're just hard to live with. Your mother finds your problem, your cousins find your problem, your brothers can't live with you, you have friends, you also, they, nobody can live with you. You know, and I tell people, if you want to know that you're a difficult person, search yourself and study how many old friends you have. That's how you know whether you're a difficult person or not. All your friends are new. They're like two, three, four, five years. Uh-uh, no, you're not the one I'm talking about. You're not the one I'm talking about. There are people who just have only new friends. Three, four, five years. You tell them, do you have any high school friend that you can actually sit over tea and talk? Nothing. Primary friends? Nothing. Some of us have kept even our P1 friends. My first primary teacher is still one of my closest friends. But she still attends service. She does street preaching. My primary teacher. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I have kept my primary teacher. My friends from P1, I have some. I've kept all friends. But some of you, you are too hard. You are too hard. So I'm not talking about that person. No. I'm not talking about that separation that comes because you quarreled with them because you misunderstood each other, because they robbed your money or they borrowed your money and they didn't pay. No, I'm not talking about that kind of indifference. I'm talking about, you're just good friends. You love your friend. They're your personal person. But somehow you stop connecting. And you can search yourself and tell, I actually don't have a problem with this brother. But it's just that conversations no longer come. Are you following what I'm saying? So you get to a point where the people of the world call them frequencies, vibrations. You talk to someone, but the frequencies are conflicting. You're having the same conversation, but your energies are on different wavelengths. They are not on the same, you know, levels of reconciliation. How do you tell? You talk to somebody for like 10 minutes and you feel like you're tired. Eh? You sit with someone on phone and say, eh, these phones. No, the problem is not the phone. Maybe the, the electromagnetic waves are the ones going through my head. No, even your ear starts paining. No, it's just that that person is on another frequency. You're not connecting. And some of you say, but I have a, no, you don't have a problem. Maybe you don't. Maybe you do, but maybe you don't. Maybe you're just not connected by frequency. The bloods are not connecting. And you know, when you're outgrowing certain levels, some friends, when they start talking, you'll feel tired. You'll feel like eh, some vein is coming out. <laughs> they talk, you feel you're tired. You talk, you even feel your throat drying. You say, what's wrong with me? Can I have water? No, you're not connecting. And yet there are people you can talk with for like hours. And they tell you, I want to come. You tell them, no, wait, come on, why are you running? Why? Because you are on the same length. So when you're outgrowing certain places, understand that these things are going to start happening. There are people you're going to start feeling attracted to and there are people whose attractions are going to die. And you don't have any problem with them, by the way. But you just don't connect anymore. Conversations don't flow. Do I have a witness? It happens. Some of you, your old friends, they are just cutting out. 
Even the people who attended your wedding, some of them you don't even have their phone numbers anymore. You've outgrown. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. Now, if you do not understand how the word of God works, how truth works, you know, you're going to go into Eastern meditation. You know the guys of Eastern religions, you know, uh, Hindus and what, and you know, those guys who practice the chakras and the third eye, Kundalini, you know, the pranas, the inner light and what. I studied them because I did the worldviews as a course in my core training. So worldviews as a course, we were supposed to study world religions and how men think, how other different uh, religions think. So I studied them. And when I finished that, I took time to really go deep because I had questions. I'm a contemplator. I hate studying surfaces. I want to break through, dissect, cut asunder, go down to the root so that I'm able to connect how the world thinks. And if you go in those Eastern guys, you see, they also have that form of thing. They experience it, but they do it differently. You understand? For example, if you go in uh, some of the Indian cultures, there are tribes, for example, that uh, put on certain colors. They prefer something like white. They never put on another color. They want to put on white. Why? Because in your primary science, Black what? Absorbs, takes in. So any dark color, takes in. And any white color does what? Reflects back to sender. So this is the mindset they carry. That if you come with negative energy, it bounces on their white color and goes back to you. You see how they see life? If you come with negative energy, the negative spirit of poverty, of sickness, if you came sick and poor, they believe that that spirit can be transferred to you. So they want to put on colors that will send whatever you're dealing with back to you. So they put on those colors. Lighter colors, whiter colors. You see what I'm saying? Or they also don't believe in coming in physical contact with everyone, you know? If somebody's of funny energies and frequencies, you don't shake their hand because they might put their frequencies on you and spoil your day. They have bad luck. Everything they do dies, so they touch you and you also, from that day on, whatever you do dies. So they don't want to shake your hand. They would rather do actions, you know, of honoring you, but they don't want to shake your hand. So the more humble word is they'll just join their hands like this when you come near them and they say, Namaste. Farewell, good day. I wish you the best in life and all the universe could ever give you, but don't touch me. <laughs> there is a truth of reality in understanding some of these things, depending on which dimension you have in that conversation. But it's for the mature. It's not something I might be able to explain. Because firstly, the right foundation of interpretation must come in play. Why, for example, Jesus tells men, don't touch me at one particular point. There's a reason but not that they could corrupt him. You get Do you understand? Not that they could corrupt him. It's another reason. It's not for today. I might not have time to explain that. But for them, they believe that that's how things are imported to them. Now, some of you Christians think like Eastern religions. You think that way. That's how you think. If I touch this person, they might put their demons in me. If I put on this color, it might it will dispel that. What does the Bible tell you? Nothing from without a man entering into him can defile him. Nothing except that which comes from the heart of that man. Those are the things that defile you. 
never think that somebody can come with some kundalini power and shake your hand and put disease in you. No, you are the light of the world. Greater is he which is in you than he which is in the world. So even if it's the biggest devil worshiper in the world, I'll put up my hand and then we'll see who will burn. Yeah, because greater is he which is in me than he which is in the world. I can put on black. You won't put anything in me because I'm putting on black. Putting on black doesn't mean that the light in me has gone. It's still there. So don't think like they do. Don't think like they do. I know people are like that. Ah, but if they touch me and then they put demons in me, you are lost, you're fallen, you don't know what you believed. Nobody can put a demon spirit by touching you. No, rather, you can impart by touching. You give, you don't receive. You only receive what you want to receive. If I want to connect to a man's anointing and I need to shake their hands, I'll do it and receive. You see? But if I'm not ready to receive, you can't put it on me. Why? Because greater is he which is in me than he which is in the world. I can only receive from the light of the glorious gospel. I cannot receive from any fallen light. So you should never worry that somebody's shaking your hand. Let them shake it. Let them shake it. Let them feel what you carry. That's why I mean, when I reach those guys, I want to shake their hands. I want to shake their hands. I want them to feel what's here. The guy goes back and says, I touched this guy and I felt something coming out of him. Yeah, that's who I am. Praise the Lord. Some of you who understand these things, Kabbalistic worship, and again, many of these Eastern religions, for example, you found some of our Indian brothers, a few Indonesians, and across, it has even come into now the new age, even in Western places like America, Europe, and what. Some of them, you'll find them, they have a red ribbon on their hand. Have you noticed? They have a red ribbon on their hand. This thing has crossed even to the Western countries. It's usually on the right, I believe. It's here, always. And they get that tradition from Genesis, you remember the woman which had two children? And as one child was coming out, the Bible says the midwife took a scarlet thread, red thread, and tied it on the hand of that child saying, this one came out first. And then the children went back and then the second one, what? Came out. And then when they came out, the midwife could say, we put a red ribbon on this one because they came first. Their hand came out first, went back and then they were born. Second one, I think, came out before the first one, if I remember the story. Now, in their traditions, they're saying that if I'm in any contention, any bid of contract, any job interview, any deal, any court case, I will always come out first. I will always win. I am fast in everything. That's why they wear those things. They're saying I'm fast in everything. See? So, they come to the interview with that red thing. And then you, Christian, you also think you need to put on a red thread to win. You're sick. You don't know the word. The Bible says, thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph and makes manifest the savour of his knowledge by us in every place. Your victory, your triumph in life is not based on a red scarlet you've put on your hand. It's based on the covenant. They're dealing with a tradition for you, you have a covenant. No man with a red ribbon on their hand can win me. The moment I enter court and I see them with that red ribbon, I now have won. The moment I enter a contract and I see that red ribbon, I know I have won. I know I'm not going to win. I have won already. Because the covenant Amanda has given me victory even before we began competing. I am not competing. Are you following what I'm saying? That's why they put on those things. After you just see them. See? Because some of you put on demonic signs in your earrings, on your t-shirts. You don't even have a clue. So, much as it cannot affect you as an individual, 
that is also speaks so much about you. Why should you be introduced like that? You see, how can a pastor put on a demonic sign on their t-shirt and they are preaching? And they don't know because they think it's fashion. You see what I'm saying? So much as it might not affect him, but it can stumble the rest. I understand them. Okay? So not that that earring will harm you. No, it shouldn't. No, if it does, then it's the state of your heart and the indifference of the knowledge of God. Otherwise, those things have nothing. Nothing from without should harm you. Okay? Now back to the issue. Here, signs, you might no longer be able to relate with some people. Number four, you will lose interest in some things. Your interests will change. There are things you used to love to do. Then you just wake up one day and you no longer have the gas for them. They don't even necessarily need to be negative. They might not be wrong, but you no longer like them. Your interests have changed. The things you used to love to do, you no longer want to do. And that's a sign that you have outgrown a certain what? A certain realm. The things you used to find for comfort and convenience and fun and recreation, they are no longer appealing to you because you've outgrown certain things and accept it that you have. It's a sign. For some of you, again, like I said, you create contingencies of comfort in what you have outgrown. So it doesn't look good on you. Somebody shout hallelujah. And you might even find yourself finding other interests. You find yourself playing football. You never used to like playing football. And you're not even doing it for health. You just, your interests have changed. You've outgrown a certain level. Number five, you start to require or desire solitude. You start loving to be alone. You know, there was a time when I was growing up, I just loved being around people. When I heard people were talking, laughing over something, I wanted to just come in the group and enjoy the fun. I thrived around just being around good conversations. When the consecrations came, every time there were conversations I never wanted to be, you see, because I was outgrowing certain levels. Like I said, you can outgrow some quicker than others. But every time you're in the end of a season and a new one, you'll always want to be alone. Doesn't mean you don't love your wife. Sometimes you just want to be alone. Doesn't mean you don't love your husband. No. Your spouse might even think, why is she rejecting me? No, they're not. They just want to be alone. Now, again, there's the indifferent part where someone just wants to be alone because they have their kind of thing. Why nature? I'm not talking about that person. I'm not talking about an emotional issue that you can't locate and neither has any bearing with you know, your realms of function. But they're genuinely, you see that I really don't have a problem with my wife. I really don't have a problem with my husband. I don't have a problem with my children. I just want to be alone sometimes. Oh, your transition. Something is happening. You drive a car and you park and you just want to be in the car alone. You just want to drive alone. You just want to be alone in the bedroom. It's not that you hate them, but something is happening. Processes are taking place in your spirit and you don't know how to explain that. Usually, you're coming to an end of a certain season and God is dealing with you for the next level and realm. You understand what I'm saying? Now, again, the danger of that is when now God needs you to be alone, but you don't know how to be alone. And now you have the conflicts in your heart. God is telling me I should actually separate myself a bit and hear him. But no, you just love company. It's the life you've built. And then you find yourself compromising with what you feel fulfills what you've been living into. And yet God is working out something to take you out to the next level. Okay, so solitude is a good sign. It's also good sometimes to be alone. In fact, if you find a person who cannot be alone, that person 
has very serious issues. And how do you know that your solitude is grounded by the fruit of the Spirit, especially self-control? Study yourself. Do you waste yourself when you are alone? Or do you build yourself when you are alone? You know, we have people who don't even know how to live alone. If they live alone, they will start wasting themselves. They will do some stupid thing. Because you don't understand the place of solitude and consecration. When you understand that, and the fruit of the Spirit is at work in you, every time you are alone, it shall be for pure conscience and thought. It shall be a place of preparation for the next spaces of your purpose in life. And you must learn to be alone and not spoil. Are you following what I'm saying? All of these are signs that you are transitioning or have outgrown a certain level. You see? Now, if you do not know what to do, chances are you might stay in what you've already outgrown. And that now is called frustrated potential. What is frustrated potential? When you feel that what you have inside is not what's showing outside, but you don't know what to do. You feel that I have more, but it's not manifesting. To know what to do is okay. But when you do not know what to do, frustrated potential starts to come out. You start feeling that frustration of I have so much, but I'm only manifesting little. I feel I'm supposed to be here, but I'm not there. Are you following what I'm saying? And it's a bad place to be because that's the mother of depression. You see people who live in depression, who are dealing with depression and it can even go and spill over into, you know, acute and then bipolar, manic, many things. Mental health. Every time you search them, they someday feel inside but cannot be translated without. And so things start going out of balance. You see what I'm saying? A balanced life is one of the cardinal marks of a stable spirit. Everything God has created in your life has created to be balanced. Body, soul, spirit. When a man is balanced in the spirit, how they hear, what they hear, and how they hear, it's very clear. Because they're balanced, they're stable. That's why soon when I promised I'm going to teach about the inner voice, to hear the inner voice, you realize that many of you are listening so much to voices outside and they've defined who you are. You've never really listened from within to know who you are. You don't really even know who you are. You're a total sum of men's definitions, movies, ideas, books, opinions. You see, when you balance your spirit, you can know what's good without and how to reconcile that from within. Let me tell you, when a man is balanced, even the way they stand or walk can show. You see, you might not understand this because it is spiritual. Now, you just read the Bible of uh, walking, running. The Bible speaks of experiences of men which are walking, standing, running. But you, you really don't realize that spiritually, it carries that bearing and then also comes even in the physical. When a man is balanced in the spirit, even the way you eat, there is food you can't eat. You understand what I'm saying? You learn the intelligences of the spirit. I call them the intelligences of the spirit because your spirit has an intelligence too. Your thought, you know, the function of your body carries an intelligence. And if your spirit is balanced, there are even times, sometimes I'm going to eat something and my spirit tells me don't eat it. Don't. Because I'm balanced, I know. I know. And when you live that life, you tell it. You realize why many of you, the source of your sicknesses 
is in your discipline of eating. Because your spirit is not balanced. You don't eat with a certain intelligence. Whatever they lay before you, rah, let's go. Let's go. My body knows when to eat and when not to eat. And when it's not ready to eat, it doesn't matter how much food is available, I will not eat. Because I have that intelligence. You balance your life and every aspect of your life is balanced. With that balance, you can do so much in so little time. That's the secret of a balanced spirit. You can do so much. I do businesses. I'm preaching the gospel. I meet you on a weekly. I'm, I counsel people every hour. But I do it all because my spirit is balanced. Like I can't incline to one thing and then lose the attention of another. Everything is here. I carry details. I carry the passwords. I know the numbers. Everything is here. I'm balanced. But some of you, even one thing can make you tired. One like this, of the many things you can do in Christ. Paul says, I can do all things by Christ which strengthens me. Praise the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. So, I want to finish. When you get to that place where you're supposed to transition into your next phase of life, your next realm of dimension, you need this wisdom essentially. Because every time you do it, you'll always leap into the next. And you'll not waste yourself and put yourself stagnant or stay in one realm. You'll always transition to the next. And there are three things I can give you. Three. Very simple. Number one, accept and do not judge yourself over the things that are changing in your life. It's a very important thing. Because I've seen people who are people pleasers. In the time where God is transitioning you to the next level, you think you must please everyone. And the Bible says, if you please everyone, you're not going to please God. You are living on the thermostats of other men's opinions about you, not what God has said about you. And let me say this even harder. Even if you have made mistakes in life, those mistakes don't define you. God still has a definition of you bigger than your mistakes. And some of you, you're stuck in the mistakes of the past. You have accepted yourself and not only identified yourself that way, but have allowed the world to define you that way. Don't be defined even by your mistakes. You see what I'm saying? Accept, like I said, number one, come to terms and do not carry guilt for the changes taking place in your life when you are sure that they are of God. Don't seek to explain to yourself, to everyone, to be understood. Because that fear of men ensnares, the Bible says. It comes with a snare. I know people are still stuck in an old realm where God has, for many reasons and purposes, signs, showed them that they have outgrown, but they're still stuck because they need to please somebody. He's your God as he is for them. If they seek replacement, God will compensate. He's a God of compensation. And God will also fill those gaps of them in your life too. But when you must move on, you should know when you should move on. You should know. You should know. Now again, there's also an indifferent part of somebody who is already in rebellion, but they think that this someone I'm telling them is actually a catalyst, a justifier of their indifference. And if they are not really positioned right by God, this could be the word that might actually make them fall off rail into destruction. That's why the foundation of truth is important. Why do you think people have a problem with us when we teach grace? Because when you say you're not justified by works, but 
by faith. An unbalanced person can think I can continue sinning because I'm under grace. But that's because they're unbalanced. And another unbalanced person can assume that's what I'm saying. Why? Because they also don't know the truth. But if you understand what I'm saying, you realize that grace will enable you to live right. To live right. You see what I'm saying? So I know that there is a fear of people getting this out of context and someone even rebel in the very word instructing them. The Bible says they twist these scriptures for their own destruction. But that doesn't mean that it's wrong or that I should not speak the truth because of the fear of losing the indifferent one. No, when we lose them, we'll pray for them and God will restore them somehow. And we pray or hope that somebody, someday they can see the truth. But I should not be denied to speak the truth because one indifferent one will abuse it. Because there's one stable one that needs it. And eventually it's that truth that sets free. Praise the Lord. So accept it. Come to terms with it. Number two, in my life, God taught me something that I have always found to work for me every time I'm transitioning out of another realm or dimension into the next. I create times and seasons to fast and pray. When you sense you're getting into the next season or come to the consciousness that you have outgrown a certain realm, create aside the season of days and fast and pray. The Spirit might tell you two days. Don't judge yourself. Fast your two. The Spirit might tell you fast one day. Don't fast four. The Spirit might tell you fast a week. Don't fast two. The Spirit might tell you fast until I break this. I've had experiences where I've gone into very long fasts and some of them have taken me eight months, nine months. That's the truth. But if the Spirit tells me go, He comes with a grace for me to go. But then there are those things I have fasted over in prayer to prepare myself for a season. And I fast one day and He tells me break your first evening, it's done. I need to hear God. You see? So there is no one pattern fits all. Everyone has the Holy Spirit. And I would rather you listen to the Holy Spirit than, you know, man. Okay? You set aside the time of prayer and fasting. What is this time, really? You're inquiring, how do I come out what I've outgrown? I need your wisdom and direction so I just don't go out in my own head. You see, Moses had outgrown the place of being called the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. The Bible is clear. He esteemed Christ greater riches than the glory and power of Egypt because he had respect for the repercompense. But the Bible says he was full of age. He had outgrown the pleasures of Egypt. But because he did not seek the Lord on how, that anger makes him bury a man in the sun, kill him. And God didn't speak to him for the next 40 years. God never spoke to him for 40 years. Why? Because he managed the transition carnally. He managed the transition carnally. So why did you set aside a time of prayer and fasting? So you can hear God on exactly what he wants and how he wants it. So that you can know what to let go. What to connect to. How to align yourself. And as you take time, I tell people that this God we serve loves to reveal more when you show the hunger for the less. That's how he does it. He'll set out something for a sign to see whether you'll catch the attention. If you catch the attention, he will reveal more. If you don't catch the attention, he will never impose. And you see, when I learned how God works, some of you who have submitted to me over the years, I think that's the problem you'll find with me. That even when it's very serious, I'll make a statement. 
and wait. If you care to listen and respond, I will tell you more. If I see you don't really care, I will not waste my time. Because let me tell you something you should never forget. The way you deal with the anointed speaks so much about your relationship with Jesus. Some of you have a deception that you can break the cord of the anointing and the patterns of divine thought and still have a personal relationship with God. And yet he has showed you the very clear pattern. For if you cannot relate with man, how can you relate with God? It's not possible. If I cannot rule my house well, how can I lead the church? No matter how prophetic I am. It's just the way of God. Understand his spirit. You see, I'll give an example. There's a man of God who did something so bad in this country. And a group of pastors came to me. You are the guys leading the church. You are the voices of your time. If you don't speak, the generation is going to be destroyed. And I told him, look, with my walk, the way I have walked and understood God, there are things I cannot do to the Lord's anointed, regardless of how many mistakes they have done, because they are the Lord's anointed. But in how I chose to deal with that man also was a defining factor of my relationship with Jesus. Some of you, you just go on the news and read something about a man of God and you open your mouth irresponsibly and start speaking things you're not supposed to speak. But that exactly speaks of your relationship with Jesus. How many times has God come from heaven to show your sin? How many times has Jesus appeared from heaven and said, she's a thief? You understand? Some of you must grow up. You must grow up. The way you relate to the Lord's servants determines how you relate with God. There's a reason why even when Saul is seeking David to kill him, David cannot kill Saul. There's a vindicating factor here. This man seeks to kill you. He has thrown a spear at you. The army is looking for you. He enters the cave of Abdullam to ease himself and he's just a meter away. And the Bible says, and his men tell David, kill him now. But there's something in David that cannot kill Saul. It's because he has a heart of God. So, you might find me with the most unpopular minister. That didn't make me wrong. No. It didn't mean I'm fallen. No. I understand the heart of God even to the most fallen. He wills that no man perish. So when we choose the way of love, we are found to be at fault. You see what I'm saying? But if a man is still speaking Jesus, let's let God deal with the rest. You mind your business. Don't ever sit in a conversation discussing a man or a woman of God. That's a sign of your mature relationship with God. You also have a journey. Just put the torch on your life and see. You have issues. It's just that yours are hidden. They're just hidden, but they're there. Some of you, if they just unscrewed your brain for two minutes and plugged an HDMI cable and put it on a spiritual screen and played it for two minutes, someone would even switch their seat. Are you following what I'm saying? Oh, back to the number two. Seek the mind of God. Because when God sees you, turn your attention. The Bible says, Moses, when the bush was burning, he turned his eyes to see what great sight it was that the bush is not burnt yet the flames are on. And the Bible says, and when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him. See? God called him. He gives more when he sees that you have carried the attention of the little. 
if Moses had just walked away, he would have lost pattern. And so the gentle spirit instructs sometimes in some of the most subtle ways. I have been in places where I've given the deepest prophecies on individuals in the most joking way. And when they turn to look, God speaks more. But if the person doesn't turn to look, I don't waste their time. You see, and it's not just my way. It's just the way of God. Never impose. If somebody does not see it, don't push it. Let it be. Because God is not an imposer. He's a very gentle spirit. Very gentle spirit. That gentleness comes the power. Are you following? So you learn to pray. You learn to seek the mind of God. You humble. When he sees you turn. Why? Because you dreamt something and you took it serious. I, I, I dreamt when I had a lot of money. Yeah. And then you count that. No. Why is the Lord showing me this? Let me put it aside a certain time. But you've dreamt you have money, but you've been in a period of <laughs> stagnation. Stagflation. The economists. You understand? And God wants to deliver you. And that's the season you dreamt something. But he wants your attention because he wants to give you instruction on something. Ah, you lose it. It bypasses you because you don't know how God speaks. You see? Prayer aligns you. Prayer aligns you and fasting. Okay? Number three. And lastly, when you are growing a season or entering the next phase of life, God is going to awaken the sensitivities of the spirit. Sensitivities of your spirit. If it's antennas, you're going to be able to receive so much frequencies. You're going to be able to connect to things and be sensitive about things that you usually are not sensitive about. And in those sensitivities are going to come the grandest instructions of positioning yourself for the next level in God. Okay? When a man is transitioning in the next realm, they are very sensitive, even on the smaller things. Very sensitive. Very sensitive. Not emotional and stable, but sensitive. Okay? I'll give you an example. I've had many experiences of elevation in the healing ministry. Several, I think. Let me use the word several. And I remember most of them. But I remember when I was beginning the healing ministry. About three kilometers away from my home, I went to see my grandfather and I visited him. And just behind his house was a neighbor of a child who was crippled from head to toe. She was on the ground crawling. They say, this child used to move but stopped moving about 13 or 14 years old. And this kid used to eat grass, was like an animal. One time a car even ran over their legs. And I knew, I'd seen this kid before when I'd gone to see grandpa. Seen him. Yeah, sorry, I'm over. I remember that one day, I'm going past there, I'm walking back home about three kilometers away, and I see this kid, and I'm concerned. I felt sorrow, and then I went back home. That next morning, from about 5 a.m., I could not sleep. My brain kept staying on that child. The sensitivities of the spirit. I became so sensitively, emotionally attached to this kid. And I had the voice tell me, now the instruction that came with the sensitivities, go and pray for that child. Now that was not usually me. I was even shy. Besides the family that kid was coming from was Muslim. So next morning, I didn't even take tea. I don't remember taking tea. I just walked with a conviction and I come to that house and I tell them, I'm uh, 
born again believer. I was about 18 or 19. I need to pray for this child. And who are you? Where are you from? I explained to them. And these Muslims uh, scorningly said, Is there you pray? And then they look around just to watch me. So I go on this child and I pray 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 and I pray. And this kid did not heal. They didn't heal. And I walked away back home. But the satisfaction in my spirit that I'd done what the sensitivities of the spirit required, for me, felt I had obeyed an instruction. A couple of days after that, I started to see miracles. Serious miracles. You see? And the Lord tells me, you know why? You remember that instruction you obeyed? Yes. It was positioning you for this. Because for me, obedience is better than sacrifice. You see? So, then the healing anointing started. And I started to heal the sick. Crippled, blind, deaf. A boy came with a cancer in the anniversary. It ate up his face until you could see the skull and put a dent and hole in there. It was about this big. Some of you saw the picture on WhatsApp. They brought the boy. I didn't even know where to touch him. I laid hands on that boy. From that day, his skin started to heal back. The boy's skin has healed. The boy's skin has healed. It is scary. We even confirmed another stage four cancer. They put her on chemo. I think she did three rounds. And she started throwing up and the chemotherapy treated her so badly. And the doctor said, let's take her off chemo. Let's leave her home to die. This woman went home to die because chemotherapy would not help. They bring her in women's conference. Oh, I lay hands on this woman. Stage four cancer. The doctors can't trace it. In just days. You see. Now, but if I tell you that journey, I cannot tell you that I've not prayed for people and I've not seen the miracle. You see? But when the sensitivities came, I knew I was transitioning into the healing anointing. I felt a compassion for the sick like I'd never felt before. And I needed to act to that compassion. You see? I've had experiences, I'll give you an example, where I'm transitioning into financial graces. And the sensitivities of that have caused me to give things that like naturally wouldn't think to give. I've been in instances where God tells me, get that property and give it to so-and-so. But because I've learned that, I understand that voice. How can it and give it? That's why I always tell you, for me, there's nothing I cannot give. Why? Because I'm always ready for my next level. So sometimes those sensitivities, I remember one time God told me to get a very heavy amount on my account in the hundreds of millions and told me, give it to this person. But that was my next level of transition financially. You see? I remember one time I had a very, very nice property and I woke up with my wife and I told her, I feel we're going to the next level here. God has told me that we should give this property. We knelt down on our knees, said, God, we give it. It's easy. Why? Because I'm sensitive to what he wants me to do when I must go to the next level. You see what I'm saying? I don't want this little thing to hold back what's bigger. And I tell you what, God will always give you bigger. You see? Now, if you are not taught to be a crazy giver, if you are not taught to be a crazy giver, chances are, in your life of career and business, you'll always lose more than you could ever give. I've studied people like that. Someone can make a loss of billions of shillings, 
millions of dollars, but they can't give it to the church, but they can lose it in a business. You see what I'm saying? Because they invested in gaining. And one time I was dealing with somebody who lost a lot of money. I asked them, but how much have you ever given to your church? You are not even come from my church. I said, your home church, how much have you ever given to God? And I could see Momon was their God. You see what I'm saying? Now, when you're sensitive, it's those little small things. I remember one day, I was doing work in these kids and one time on the road and I find this street kid seated there and it was raining, this little small kid. I couldn't move. You get I couldn't move. I don't know how to explain to somebody that I could not move. I could not move. Because I saw a kid, it was raining. This kid is about two years. Unless I think. I'm thinking, whose kid is this? You see, that's how I started ministry on street children. That's how it started. But I couldn't stand to see a little small kid in eight months, nine months. I'm thinking, God, some of you, your kids have never seen those days. But how does a kid sit at 8 p.m., 9 p.m. in the cold begging? How do you just drive away? You get it. It becomes hard. So we started taking kids off the street. We took some in school. But the pattern was there. But the responsibility began when I started to become more sensitive to things many people ignore. I could tell when somebody has slept hungry. I can look at someone's bag and I tell this person has been coming to church for days and it's the same bag they're holding. Something is wrong. And I'll call them and pray for them. You see what I'm saying? Some of you, I can look at how you dress every week and I can tell there's something not right. But there's somebody else. You're even sitting with these people. You don't even care. You don't even care whether, you see. So, but when those sensitivities of the Spirit come through, God is literally preparing you for the next level of life and ministry. You see? And whatever instructions come in those sensitivities, always respond to them in a matter how big. Because God is willing to do bigger than he could ever ask for. Never ignore. Never ignore. Never ignore. I can tell you the craziest things we have done from buying properties for churches. One time I took a flight to Europe just to visit a pastor in prison. We've done crazy things. But those sensitivities come with the territory of elevation. You see what I'm saying? We've done things for people who will never expect anything from. Anything from. Some time ago, I had an international minister coming and I approached the ministry that was inviting him. And I paid the whole crusade. He doesn't know me. I'm not looking for his phone number. And I made sure I told the fellow, don't mention me. And it was a success. And hundreds of people were born again. But what is in it for me? There is something I'm preparing myself for. We don't go there by chance. We go there by principle and pattern. You must understand how it works. And the grace of God is available to carry you through that. You see, but you must be able to understand and be sensitive and know when God is telling you to do something out of the normal. Out of the normal. And that's okay. No matter how crazy it is, do it. You'll be amazed at what God will do in your life. Praise the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray for every man and woman at the sound of my voice. We are conscious of your plans in our lives. We love you and we want to serve you. We are alive for only one thing, to do your will. And we know that we have a great journey ahead of us, many great days to fulfill your plan and purpose in our lives. Lord, help us. We repent where we've missed you in the times of our transitions. 
this wisdom comes to help somebody tonight that we never lose the instructions that we will walk in the wisdom essential when we have outgrown certain seasons and realms and that are going in the next level of life. May our hearts be susceptible to your will. May we always reflect and yield to your purposes. I pray for every man and woman and may you never miss your time of progress and transition. May you carry the wisdom to tell and know the signs available when you're next going to your next phase in life. May you never lose even the slightest inkling of instruction. And this word comes tonight to position you and establish you in the wisdom that you need to transition right and quicker to the next level of your life. I know that God has planted this and that it will never leave your spirit. It has marked you to fulfill all God has purposed in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to pray with those people who say, Apostle Grace, today I want to receive Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. It is the best or greatest mark of transitioning to a new realm. And the realm you enter is going to be a realm of glory like you've never dreamed. Many of us in this room made that decision years ago. And it's the best decision we've ever made in life. There's never a perfect time. It's only a ready heart. And some of you are ready today. So if you're there and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, you're just going to repeat these words after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive you in my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowship at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.